When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's time to start the podcast. It's time to hit the mics. It's time to start the podcast with Moon, P. Jug, and Hob. We're just getting started. We got lots to cover today. Uh, and another thing that we forgot last week on episode 17. Oh, my God, I completely forgot. I don't know if we should talk with our guest about this. I think we probably should because I'm sure he'll have things to say. In episode 16, I was on my way to a medical procedure. The medical procedure involved sticking a camera up my urethra. Uh, and then at the end of episode 16, I came on, I said, is this the best podcast he's ever? Tune in next week to find out what happens to my urethra. Let's go ahead and get the players on, uh, on the team uh, introduced here. My beautiful wife, even though you can't see her, it's audio only is P-Jug. Welcome, P-Jug. Hey, everybody. Hobbs, also known as Tiffany Norton, but yes. she won't just stick with Hobbs. When this whole podcast started, I was trying to get characters that we could define, and I thought Hobbs would be a perfect one for Tiffany Norton. But then she can't promote all of her merch for her comedy uh, because people get confused with the whole Hobbs thing. I love being called Hobbs. And we're very pleased today to have a guy that you may have seen working in town. If you're from the Twin Cities, you probably have. If you've ever went to an event that's funny, from Stevie Ray's Improv, it is Stevie Ray. Hey, Stevie. Hey there. How are you? Hey. Uh, Stevie has been doing improv and, you know, just funny things in the Twin Cities for how many years? Uh, this is our 32nd year. Which is odd because I'm only 40. So <laughs> you started when you were eight. Yeah. Perfect. I can do math. Uh, let's get back to my urethra. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I was hoping he was distracted. Yes. But anyway, so uh, on my way to get this procedure, I have to have a driver because there's some medications involved. And so I'm very fearful of the test. I mean, who wants a, a, a penis cam? You don't want that. So we get down to the place and uh, we get into the nursing uh, area. And she said, well, did you take your medication? And I said, well, indeed I did. The doctor prescribed it. I filled it at the pharmacy. I have, yes, consumed it. And I've come with a full bladder as ordered. So anyway, she said, well, we can't do the test. And I go, why not? And she said, because if you read the instructions on the prescription bottle, it will clearly state that you have to sign consent forms before you consume the medicine. Otherwise, you could be impaired and make bad medical decisions. And I go, I think it's a bad medical decision talking to you right now. <laughs> That's what I think. Uh, the doctor didn't mention it. You didn't give me the orders uh, on my, uh, you know, my chart account with Fairview. I did not become belligerent, but I was borderline belligerent. What ends up happening is I get to do the penis cam again in two weeks. So if you'd like to listen on about episode 19 for a urethra update, God. that's what I'm now thinking. No. <laughs> All right. What do you got to add we were to that? supposed to build followers, not lose them. <laughs> yes. before we get them. Right. No, don't. Well, you're, you're certainly going to reach a different market. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, everybody's got to have a niche. Yeah, pretty much that's a niche, all right, or a niche. Uh, <laughs> you know, the last time I actually got to see Stevie on stage, uh, this was maybe two years ago. I'm not sure. You don't even know that I was there. I don't think we bumped into each other while we were there. But uh, it was a MyTalk 107.1 fundraising event. You had worked with uh, all of their staff on trying to teach them how to do stand-up. And everybody took a stab at it. 
my favorite by far was Steve Patterson. I thought he was really oh, yeah. a joy. And when you take radio people, I'm assuming you probably had stations maybe approach you and say, could you work with our talent a little bit? Because you're way funnier than they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, well, it was a real treat because the folks at my talk, uh, you know, they have this annual event down and dirty where they yeah. get into an experience of some kind that's going to stretch the hosts and producers beyond their comfort zone. And they had already done things like work at the state fair or be in a rock band. Uh, a few of the hosts over the years had expressed that they'd love to try comedy. So what we did was we took a number of days uh, to teach all of them how to do improv, like you see on the TV show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? And then we right. took a handful of them that would also do stand-up. So they got to do both. And it was a real interesting process for them to learn how it works live instead of in front of a microphone or like Steve Patterson is also on camera with Twin Cities Live. And to mm -hmm. work off an audience is just, as you would know, uh, to go from a studio to a live event is just a, a shock to the brain. My co-founder of Stevie Ray's Improv Company, her name is uh, Pamela Main. She started the company with me and uh, we've, we've run it together as a partnership ever since. So nothing happens without Pamela being involved. To be quite honest, she's smarter than I am. Uh, <laughs> and she's a master instructor. So she took a lot of these people under her wing and really guided them along to find the particular unique style of each one of them. And she said, you know, we have an improv, Lexi, just for you. You know, and, and Steve, we have something just for you that'll work to make it a successful show. So it was it was just a blast. I can safely say too, everybody in the crowd had a blast. Oh my God. I mean, they oh, were yeah. laughing and it was so well received. And at KS95, yes. I mean, we did massive promotions, you know, in front of a lot, a lot of people. And I mean, if you take a look at the room that they were in at Mystic Lake, that's about a 3,000 seater. Since COVID, I'm sure for you that things have really changed. I mean, it's changed for everybody. And now it appears with the new variant is changing again. It's like a moving target. But uh, tell us what's going on. What are you guys working on? We naturally had to shut down like everybody else uh, way back a year ago, March, when the state of Minnesota said, okay, it's, it's okay to open up at 25% capacity for live entertainment. Uh, what the Chanhassen did was, well, they couldn't bring back their big musical uh, on the main stage. Then they have the concert series where they bring in bands every weekend. Uh, and that's in a different room. And then they have us. So they said, what we're going to do is we're going to move the bands to the main stage. So at 25%, they can get a pretty good audience. We're going to move you, move you from your small cabaret to this other space that seats a couple hundred. So at 25%, you'll still get a good audience. So for a couple of months, uh, what we did was instead of having our full five-person troupe plus the pianist, uh, it was me and one other guy. <laughs> we just did a, a full two-hour, two-man comedy show. Uh, and then the government shut down again, and we had to wait until we started up again in January. And what we've done since then is basically stick with three to four-person troops. What we've done is, is kind of altered a little bit by saying, for the next two months, these three performers are going to do comedy improv like we always do, but they're going to focus mainly on music and singing. The next group's going to be wacky and goofy and do a more oddball kind of improv. And then the next group we've got just now starting this weekend, uh, it's a group of four of our performers, and they're going to focus more on television and do comedy related to TV. So they're calling the show TV Rays. Oh, nice. So we're just going to change the theme of our signature style of improv to kind of freshen it up a little bit and uh, move forward that way, where we, we kind of keep refreshing every few months. How hard is it to teach somebody that's just unteachable uh, to do some improv? Well, the interesting thing about improv is that most people only know of it through comedy. Uh, they see the TV show, Whose Line Is It Anyway?, or they come to a live show and they say, that's improv, uh, which it is. But improv didn't really start with that in mind. In the late 1930s, a group of professionals, they were all uh, educators 
in the school system, psychologists, sociologists, and this group got together and they what, what they wanted to try to do was improve education because most education is done by lecture, one person talking to a group of people sitting there. And that's been proven to be the worst way to teach people anything. Lecture sucks. So this group was trying to invent a, a better way to teach. And they happened upon interactive teaching methods, get people to do something hands-on. And there's an old Chinese proverb uh, that goes along with that. Tell me and I'll forget. Show mm -hmm. me, I may remember. Involve me and I'll understand. So this group happened upon this interactive method and that's where improvisation got its start. Years later, theater got a hold of it as a training tool. And even then, nobody wanted to perform it in front of an audience. No, this is, this is just to practice and learn things. And after a while, people realized this is kind of fun to watch. And then comedy got its hooks into it and it became what we see today. So the teaching that we do in the classes that you, you talk about, when people come to a class, 99% of the people who take a class with us are not interested in performing. They want to be better, edu uh, better communicators. They want to have more self-confidence. They want to engage with people better. They want better professional skills. And they discover that teaching improv has very little to do with comedy. The process of learning improv is a very step-by-step -step organized, easy to learn thing. Later on, you learn how to be funny. And if you just do it well, by itself, it's funny. You know who sucks at improv? Who's that? People who try to be funny. Yep. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And then we also have stand-up classes and stand-up comedy and improv are like baking and cooking. They both produce a good meal, but they're two entirely different skill sets. A lot of people do both. I've, I've always done both stand-up and improv side by side my whole life. But a lot of people would say, nope, I'm sticking to my side of the candy store. A lot of stand-up comedians say, I'm not going to go out there and work with a group of people who don't know what they're going to say next. And a lot of improvers will say, I'm not going out there by myself. And also stand-up is very repetitive. You, you, you do the same act for years, honing it. Uh, that's the craft of stand-up. Both of them require different skill sets that kind of mesh. But in both cases, the people who try the hardest fail the worst. When I was working on the station, I remember so many times when I came up with something I thought was going to be funny and I worked really hard on it and I could just see my partner's faces, you know, looking at me like this is going to just tank. This is the face you used to see. I used to be Moon, Stevie, I don't know if you know this. I used to be Moon's producer for a while. I was not his only producer. Apparently he went through quite a few. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes he's definitely seen this face before. The... Don't no, do that face. No face. <laughs> well, and it's exactly what you just said. Those who try to be funny aren't. When you watch people do improv, do you have a favorite? Is somebody you're thinking, oh, God, I got to really watch that? When it comes to improv and stand-up, both, uh, it's a much shorter list of who I don't like. I mean, I, I'm also a professional speaker, uh, and, and I'm a part of the, the uh, Professional Speakers Association, and a mentor, uh, I was talking about a speaker that I didn't particularly care for, you know, and I, I kept saying, I don't know why they're successful. And this mentor said, um, there's an audience for everyone. And that's what it comes down to. That person is not trying to speak to you as an audience member. They're trying to speak to those people over there. And you don't belong in that group, which is why you don't jive with the speaker. Same with comedy. Uh, I will watch some comedians who I just per personally don't care for. And they are wildly famous, very successful. Uh, and I think, well, the audience likes them. And when we have a stand-up class, we'll tell the uh, students, look, we're going to give you our opinion and we're going to try to draw from our experience to help you uh, enter this new field as successfully as you can. Um, and we're going to give you our opinions about your material and your act and realize the only judge that matters is the audience. So if we tell you that we don't think something's going to work, you get up there and try it, and the audience is laughing their heads off, I uh, guess who's wrong? <laughs> Us. And because there's an audience for everybody. There's a lot of, there's some comedians that I just don't care for. 
It's kind of like what I was told about theater, about theater critics. A bad theater critic will say whether they liked the show. That's not really their job. A good theater critic will say, here's what the director and the cast was trying to, what they were trying to accomplish. Did they accomplish it? And if they did, success. So good comedians accomplish what they are after and they find the audience that they want. Yeah, I really bummed to hear about Kathy Griffin and lung cancer yesterday. What? That was a shocker. I didn't hear that. Yeah, that was a real shocker. She has lung cancer? And she's never smoked. No, she doesn't drink either. And she comes from a big Irish Catholic family in that. And she she has never been a partier, never drank. That's so weird. It might have been the secondhand smoke from being in the clubs all those years. Yeah. Back in the day when uh, smoking was allowed indoors, uh, when I would play the clubs, oh, my God, it was just a haze. Sometimes yeah. you couldn't see the audience. For sure. Oh, yeah. When I started doing stand-up comedy, you could still smoke on stage. I remember in the 80s. I got a call from a program director while I was on the air on a special line called the hotline. When that thing rang, you were in trouble. Yeah. Right. And so the hotline goes off and there's a flashing light in the studio and I pick it up. I'm like, yeah, hello. And it's my boss. And he said, he goes, you sound terrible tonight. Have you been smoking weed? I said, no. And he goes, well, you better go get something. (laughs) (laughs) simpler times yeah that yeah. is a caring program director <laughs> i'm thinking to myself okay and i ended up working for him until some really bad things happened he actually beat up our all-night guy for not waking him up oh my god yeah he had a tendency to, to stay up really late and uh and he was the morning show guy and the program director so he'd drink until bar closed at two uh-huh. and then he'd go home and try to pass out for a couple hours and the guy that was on midnight to five was supposed to wake him up with a phone call, and he didn't. And he was so drunk, he came down to the station eventually and said, I thought you were supposed to wake me up. And the next thing you know, punch his throw. And <laughs> we got a throw down, and uh, that was the end of him. I'll tell you a comic that I find to be up and coming. And uh, just the way that uh, this person weaves. A humor into real life situations. Is that Tiffany Norton? It's Tiffany Norton. <laughs> oh my God. I thought so. <laughs> Way to yes, work that I in there. Oh, so. yes. You know, I had Thank to come you. back. I love say- being called up and coming at my age. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I yeah. have so many gray hairs. I have to shave half my body. I'm not even talking about my head. Yes, I'm a new up and comer. <laughs> How did you show at Sisyphus go last week? It was absolutely a blast. Yeah, it was. Uh, if you're not familiar with Stevie, uh, there's a gal, uh, Sarah McPeck, who produces a lot of shows. Uh, she also helps um, uh, anchor the comedy shows for Pride and was okay. organizing all that kind of stuff. And uh, she has a show called Wednesdays at Sisyphus once a, once a month on a Wednesday. And it's all LGBTQIA+. Um, stand-up comedy, women, BIPOC, the whole bit. And then it's so it's stand-up comedy interspersed with drag queens. Okay. A lot of fun crowd interaction and a lot of a lot of improv in that regard because you really kind of can't predict what's gonna happen in that crowd, but it's always a really good time. If you haven't checked out that room, it's super, super fun, super great comedy, mm-hmm. like loyals. Like these are real diehards that come to every show and they okay. actually have money. My stepdaughter is huge into drag race. Yeah. Oh God. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we've been, uh, my wife and I have been forced to watch every episode of RuPaul's drag race. (laughs) She's going to school, uh, after graduating high school, she's going to go to train as a professional makeup artist. She really loves drag. So I should bring her to Wednesdays. Yes. Someday. How old is she? Uh, well, she's 17 now, but she'll be 18 in November. Oh yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, we're just not going to serve her any beer. We'll just make no. her drive us all home. That's all. Exactly. That's all right. You, know, you just have to Uber. That's it. I'll be the designated driver. And, you know, I mean, frankly, if you watch RuPaul's Drag Race, nothing anywhere is going to offend you. I've been telling Moon mm-hmm. he should come too, but he doesn't feel like showing off his yams anymore. <laughs> he he came, he strolled in. You'll love this TV. He strolls into the studio one day. And he was wearing shorts. It was an early day in spring. He's like, hey, everybody, get over here. Check out my yams. Oh, God. And I, I'm like, I think you mean gams? 
There yeah. was one. There yeah. was one time I remember when I was talking to Dave Dahl on a weather forecast, and I said, "Hey, Dave, you know, I'm glad to have you down at Five Eyewitness News, just in case uh, severe weather craps up." Oh, and he's like, well, up. he said, "Craps up." I said, "Yeah, craps up." I, I mean, crops up. <laughs> some of these may have been intentional, and I just kind of threw it right by you. Uh, here's another thing. I remember many, many moons ago, if you will, when there was a, a class, and I bet it's probably still out there. You remember the Dale Carnegie course? Yes. When you speak, it, it's obvious that you've studied how to talk to people and you present yourself very well and you're very easily understood. All of those things I'm none of. Right. Uh, but did you ever do the Dale Carnegie course? Because I went in and got kicked out first night. You did. Are you serious? <laughs> I did. I literally did. Well, no surprise. What? Before we move on. Well, no well explain, explain, explain what the Dale Carnegie class is for those yes. listening that might not be familiar with. Dale Carnegie uh, was a well-respected business person and just person in general. And he presented himself in a way that promoted business. Right. And he wrote a book. And he wrote a book. and How to win friends and influence people. Yes. And then he said, well, maybe I could share some of this. Kind of like when you guys, you know, teach people about improv and stuff like that. And he would teach people how to present themselves better uh, during, you know, client meetings or whatever it may be. And I had a general manager that said, you are just such a redneck, <laughs> right? Because I came from Nowheresville, a little town in Nebraska called Sydney. And I was kind of a country bumpkin, uh, but I ended up doing okay with what I'd learned over the years on in radio and what have you. But uh, he suggested that I try the Dale Carnegie course to learn how to present myself better and more effectively on the air. And so I went. Of course, I was drinking. <laughs> yeah, sure. Winning friends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I was the first to ever go to a, a Dale Carnegie uh, course hammered. Dale but... was probably drinking. Who cares? Right? <laughs> yeah. Probably. Yeah. And so anyway, I was obnoxious and uh, slurred. Well, actually, uh, one of our uh, former troop members is a trainer now with Dale Carnegie. Uh, because they're still worldwide, Dale Carnegie Systems. My first foray was going to be an educator. When I grew up, I was going to be a teacher. And then I, I talked to a high school guidance counselor. And back when I was in high school in the late 1800s, uh, <laughs> they said, well, there's, there's uh, too many teachers in the country right now. So you're going to have to start off at a really small school and not going to make any money and all that. And I said, well, I don't want to do that. So... I didn't know what was going to be next. I, I took one of those interest inventory tests that you get in high school that are nowadays, they don't put much stock in them, but back then they were everything. Mm -hmm. And this one compared your daily interests with the daily interests of people who already had a job. And the theory was if you shared regular daily interests, you would share a career passion. Not a good theory, but they believed it back then. I took the test and it came back and it said, here's what you are. And the top score for me was that I was female and a physical education teacher. Those are two things I'm not very good at being. <laughs> you are handsome and you do look fit. So I said, okay, what's next down the list? The next was a split between a priest and a nun. Okay, the next thing that is male and not celibate, we're going to take a look at. <laughs> and it said speech therapist. I thought, well, that's kind of like being a teacher, except you're a specialist. You're working in the school, you're helping kids, whatever. I went to uh, Moorhead State University here in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Uh, simply because uh, that had the best speech pathology program in the state. I was recommended to go there by a, a clinician who I, I, I met. And so I was fully into the program. In the middle of my junior year, I had uh, patients I was working with in a clinic. I was working as a speech pathologist intern. In the middle of my junior year, I said, I don't want to do this. And so suddenly, now what? And I read a book called What Color Is Your Parachute? 
It's a very well-known book that helps people figure out what to do in life. And right there, it said, you have to do something that is a combination of comedy and educating, entertaining and training. And so I approached the university and said, I want to study the psychology of comedy and humor. And they said, we don't have a degree in that. You can't do it. Um, and I said, well, what if I make my own degree? They said, you can't do that. I said, well, we'll see. Uh, I got two professors to work with me as special advisors. We created an entire bachelor's curriculum and we petitioned the university board of directors to accept it as a program. So I got a degree in comedy. Nice. Uh, my, wow, my parents that's awesome. were, uh, And ever since then, it's been something that uh, I've, I've combined teaching and, and, and making people laugh. So speaking well has always just been part of the game. What really started to uh, sharpen up my delivery was uh, a number of years ago, I was looking for something to do to volunteer okay. and, and, and work with uh, a charity of some kind. And so I became a volunteer for the State Services for the Blind, uh, recording books on tape for the blind. I asked them to send me nonfiction, because that's my preference, and you record an hour at a time. But the challenge is, first you have to audition, and they only accept about 30% of the people who audition, because you have to have good diction, good inflection, be listenable, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But every time I submit a new disc of a book that I'm recording, it's audited by a blind auditor. And they send you back a report about your diction, your rate of speech, your inflection, your listenability, how much life you bring to it. Plus, are you making any mouth sounds, clicking, popping, that kind of thing that are distracting? Are you turning the page too loudly? Because that shows up. It's a very interesting program that was invented in Minnesota called Radio Talking Book. Every blind person or person who has visual impairments uh, can either get a special radio that tunes into this frequency or they can do an app on the phone and they listen to books being broadcast uh, in one hour broadcasts. So if I record a book that takes like 12 hours to record, there'll be 12 sessions. Every kind of book you can imagine from children's books to adult books to novels to mm -hmm. historical nonfiction to textbooks. And it was invented in Minnesota, now being copied at state centers for the blind across the country. That's something I do as a volunteer. But boy, I tell you, uh, it started making me really pay attention to how I deliver. Do you think it would be, I don't know, in bad form if we asked some of these same people to review this show? Because it's terrible. Oh, um, <laughs> That would be an interesting thing. All you'd have to She's do is uh, already my <laughs> PJ muted her mic, but I can hear her laughing in the other room yeah. on your mic. <laughs> like the the oh, you mean sounds popping, turning pages, not all of that. Oh my god, what was that first review like for you though? Like having someone go, "Wow, this is because you, now you've already you're already established and you're doing this for free. You're right. volunteering. I can already just feel my Irish rising, like." the best I could do. I'm doing it for free. What do you, what do you want from me? Oh, we have a very strong philosophy at Stevie Ray's improv company because we've had paid interns in the past, but also free interns, uh, free people in training to do shows, all that kind of stuff. And we tell them, uh, we don't care if you're paid or not, you are going to give a hundred percent. And if you don't give a hundred percent just because it's free, there's the door. So the same philosophy holds true for me in in doing this kind of work is I will do my absolute best work. I don't care if I'm getting paid. Uh, it's, it's my face and name on it. And even if it didn't represent a company, it's still my family name attached to it. True. So uh, it's a hundred percent. When I got that first report, yeah. Oh my God, they were like, okay, you're reading too fast. You're, you're, you're mispronouncing words. I mean, there was one word in one book in the middle of 400 pages that I mispronounced, they caught it. What was it? It was some foreign word. I mean, since I get nonfiction, one book was about something about world politics. 
there were words in there that were based in, in France, in Germany. There were Arabic words. There were Latin words because there were legal definitions. Uh, in order to do this, you have to audition. And so they'll have you in a booth for 45 minutes. You will read 50 legal terms to see if you Ooh. can read Latin, 50 medical terms. If you, if you know that you made a mistake, you get to stop and correct it. Okay. Because they say, you don't need to read perfect. You just need to sound perfect. So if I stumble while recording, I get to stop the recording, go back and record over it like you do drops. So they say, as long as you know. But if you don't know, that's the problem. You got to stop and look it up. So I got to tell you, I'm on YouTube pronounce all the time. Yeah. Because there'll be some long word. And I'll have to sit there and go, uh... Okay, record. Stop. Do it over again. Listen to it. Okay. It's a trip for me because I love languages. So if I can hear all these different rich words being thrown in, it's much more fun. Uh, right now I'm reading a book, The Life and Times of Jimmy Carter. Sure. And this is a 670-page book. Wow. It's going to take me three months to get through this thing. Uh, but the cool thing is, when I'm done, I know a lot more than when I started. Mm -hmm. I didn't sure. know half of the stuff about this guy that I know now. Uh, and it gives you such a different perspective mm -hmm. on the world. Since I take so many drugs for multiple sclerosis, I've run across some big names, you know, for different drugs. The one yeah. I'm on right now is Ocrelizumab. And, you know, I could never spell it. As a matter of fact, I was actually the MC in Houston, Texas for Laura Bush at a literacy event. Oh, wow. And uh, <laughs> while, while we're there, Sorry. I'm Go signing on. autographs and I misspelled literacy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right? How did you spell it? How did you spell literacy, sir? L L I T L L. What are you trying to spell? Llama? There's only like yes. one word that starts with two L's. Yeah. It's literacy for large mammals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love the fact that Laura Bush was all about literacy yeah. and her husband was like one of the worst speakers ever <laughs> born. Oh, but yeah. dynamic, but he was dynamic. He the was fact dynamic. That he was, you know, he's kind of a little, and not that we're getting into politics, but he's a little bit of a predecessor of Trump because he was very keen on the fact that if it's not going well, just keep repeating what you said. Just double down and say three times, and, and then get it. My keynote speaking focuses on influence. That's that's my expertise. Uh, my keynote uh, is called the Roadmap to Influence. And that's the next book that I'm writing. So I'm very tuned in to watching politicians mm -hmm. because they have to influence the greatest number of people in the shortest period of time with the greatest amount of uh, pushback. Um, and it's really interesting to see how it's done. Uh, mm -hmm. And in the world of influence, we recognize one fact. There's some people you can't change their mind. That's just the way it is. Yep. So those are the people that are going to vote this way. And, and you, you try to get the swing people. Um, I actually went on uh, a different radio station uh, many years ago. Okay. Yes, I know they're out there. Uh, because I claimed to predict who was going to win the election between John McCain and it was still Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton for the Democratic nomination. And I claimed to be able to guess the winner based on their sense of humor and their use of humor in their presentations because laughter is the most influential tool for humans ever. If you can make a group of people laugh, you got them. And that's because laughter is actually, according to neuroscience, a social signal of agreement. We laugh more often to agree with people than when something is funny. So if you can get, make people laugh, they tend to go your way. And so on this station, they, uh, the, the host said, okay, talk about John McCain, Hillary Clinton, and Barack Obama as far as their sense of humor goes. And I said, uh, Hillary will make a great statesperson, uh, but she doesn't have the sense of humor necessary to be president. I said, John McCain 
Uh, sadly, he's a brilliant man. He's, he's, I mean, you don't get to where they are without being intelligent. But his sense of humor just quite isn't there yet. I said, Barack Obama is going to win the election because he's funny. But he's not comical. He's right. got a real sharp wit about him. I, my prediction came true. Whether it had anything to do with his sense of humor or not, who knows? But I was right for a change. I'll take lucky over smart any day. Any day, yeah. That is the um, name of that's another name for this podcast. Lucky what? over smart. Yeah. That's another option. One of the times that I just was so entertained, I love David Letterman. Just I was a huge fan. Yeah. And Letterman has a show called uh, My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. And what they would do is David would go into a studio somewhere uh, where there'd be maybe two, 300 seats. And then they'd fill the seats, but they wouldn't tell anybody who the guest would be. Oh, My next guest needs no introduction. And out on the very first episode was Barack Obama. Oh, my and, God. And he and Letterman together were magical. I, I had the opportunity to meet the Bush family when I lived oh. down in Texas because we did a, a couple of fundraising events for them. Their uh, home was less than two miles from the station. We'd go to this breakfast place and there'd be George and Barbara sitting there with their secret service. And we just sit there and shoot the breeze. It was great. Uh, and then there's George W., who sounds like the biggest Bubba ever, right? <laughs> My favorite George W. line was this. Somebody said, you know, uh, this is when he was the uh, governor of Texas on his way to run for the presidency. He said, Mr. Bush, why is it that in every state in the United States except Texas, why do you not have a hate crimes law? for people that kill others or brutalize them because of their sexuality, because of their religious preference or whatever. And George just looked him right in the eye and he says, well, when you kill somebody in Texas, we kill you back. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm yep. like, well, that, was <laughs> that was perfect. That, oh. that line was stolen by comedians, uh, Ron White. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, because he's a southern. You know, he's the mm -hmm. the redneck comedy tour. Uh, he stole that line for his act. I believe know? it. Yeah, he. I remember seeing him on. You know, if you come to Texas and kill someone, we kill you back. That's and right. He just drew that out. You know, we we're removing all of the obstacles for the death penalty. Other states are trying to end it. We're putting in an express lane. <laughs> <clears throat> I love Ron White. Oh, I've been a big fan of his for a long, long time. Uh, get to back to reading, uh, you know, books for blind people. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, and I don't know why this went through my mind, and maybe it's because I'm a sick man. How do people with <laughs> oh, visual impairments enjoy porn? <laughs> Physically, Moon. <laughs> Here's, you want to know something? Uh, this will be a funny answer. Not a funny answer, but. For my work and influence, I, I research a lot of neuroscience because you have to understand how the brain is triggered to respond. Okay. When blind people are given a thorough description of something or when they tactily experience it, the visual cortex of the brain lights up. Mm -hmm. So even though their eyes don't work, the visual cortex of the brain is what understands the world. So they actually do get a picture in their mind, even though their eyes don't work. So perhaps a really, really good description of what's going on is enough to do it. Yeah, maybe so. I worked at a radio station where we had uh, one blind employee and all of everything was in Braille. And I was trying to figure out how in the world can this guy do his job? And he was way better at it than I was, but which was pretty low at that time <laughs> and, and never really improved much. I think that would be that'd be a really big one to lose. Yeah, I would uh, I would sooner lose all the others than that one. Well, and I think, Stevie, you know, because you teach people how to speak with clarity, mm -hmm. uh, you've probably been shaking your head at, at all of the things I've said today. <laughs> Actually, right? no. I did a workshop for Toastmasters, and they are noted for being very sticky about uh, they, they have a, a person listening to you speak who's called the grammarian, and they check your grammar. Then they have a person who counts the number of times you say um and ah and all that kind of thing. And when I when I did a workshop for them, they were very frustrated because I don't go by much of that. One of the 
most famous hosts on the Food Network is Alton Brown. And he is the most famous host they have and the most popular. And he's, he's, he's known worldwide. That guy will say um and ah 50 times in a sentence and nobody cares because yeah. he's got charisma. And when I listen to you, you're natural, you're likable. Everything else goes by the wayside. People who are too smooth, nobody trusts them. Yeah. You know, that, that was a problem. That's why Barack Obama got Joe Biden to be his vice president. Uh, one of the books I read for Books on Tape was how those two got together. Not what their presidency was like, but how they got together and started working together. Barack Obama tapped Joe because Barack knew he just wasn't approachable. Yep. He's yeah. too smart. And everybody likes Joe. I'm so glad you said that. My favorite part was right after Barack Obama won and Joe Biden's behind him and a hot mic catches him. And he says, this is a big deal man <laughs> deal. like super loud and like the, the mic's not supposed to catch it yeah like, i love this guy like yeah. exactly he's just looking at him like yeah barack obama has a friendship with bruce springsteen oh. do they have a they have a special or what was that, they have that a podcast thought? a podcast okay that was really good we listened to it yeah they've been they've been tight ever since he got into the race I do know that Bruce Springsteen is one of the best storytellers ever, uh, not just through his lyrics, but if you watch Springsteen on Broadway, which I, I like Bruce Springsteen. I don't necessarily love Bruce Springsteen. Here's the reason why uh, you'd go to his shows. They were literally four hours long and he'd play like 70 songs. I knew like 15 of them, but what, what you know, <laughs> that still left three and a half hours of me sitting there with my thumb up my butt from trying to think, what's this? He's uh, like, I got to go and get beer again. <laughs> I don't know this song. <laughs> right. But but when we watched Springsteen on Broadway and he told these stories and the pictures he drew with words, you know, one of the things that I tried to do in my radio career was make people see things with their ears. Yeah. Okay. If you can do that and achieve that, you've really accomplished something. Uh, sometimes you got to be careful because the words you use to draw the pictures take people to dark and weird places like I am kind of personally anyway. Right. Uh, so you got to be careful because it is a powerful tool. Words are powerful. But, you know, that's the whole point of it is to get outside your comfort zone. And nobody ever says to themselves, Hey, today I think I'm going to go outside my comfort zone. We need people like you to lead us there and have yeah. us go. You know, the, the thing about getting into the dark area, it's fine because we trust you to get us back out of it. You're not just going to abandon us there, you know, lead us back home. So that's why we put ourselves in your hands. And I've heard stories about Bruce Springsteen's bandmates saying the best thing they like about working with him is when he stops the show and starts talking to the audience. And he starts speaking from the heart and the band right. members say, we're in tears listening to this guy talk. Yeah. He moves us so strongly. Um, compare that to like when Michael Jackson would come out and do a 45 minute show and then call it a night. I attended a Prince concert. I'm not a typical concert goer, but a friend had tickets. So we went and Prince was two hours late, yep. uh, which was typical. Mm -hmm. And he didn't say a word about it. He just started the show. I am a columnist for the business journal newspapers nationwide. So uh, once a month, I write a column about something related to uh, how to be running a good business. So in this particular column after that concert, I wrote an open letter to Prince and I sent a copy to Paisley Park where I said, um, I'm very offended by the fact that you kept us waiting for two hours. You made a promise that the show was at eight o'clock. You didn't keep your promise. We paid mm -hmm. a certain amount for that promise. The least you could have done was say, look, folks, I'm sorry. Here's why I'm late. I'm going to give you a great show. But you didn't even do that courtesy. So here's what I'm asking from you for print for Prince. I want an apology from you. I don't want one somebody from your office calling me or sending a letter. I want you to call me and I want you to say, I'm sorry. I kept you waiting. And I knew this was never going to happen, but for the next year, at the bottom of my column, it was Prince Watch and how many days it had been that I didn't get an apology from Prince for keeping <laughs> me, Stevie Ray, waiting 
right. at a concert. And I had a friend who said he worked at Paisley Park for a short time, and he knew that somebody took my letter and put it on Prince's desk. So he knows that the guy got it. I never did get the apology, and I don't think now I'm ever going to get one. No, probably not. not. Before we wrap up, why don't we tell people where they can see your work, Stevie? Okay. Uh, and then uh, Hobbs may have some stuff to plug too. And then I got a little something too. Uh, where Stevie uh, is your next gig and what's happening? Uh, the Stevie Ray's comedy troupe performs every weekend at Stevie Ray's comedy cabaret. Every Friday and Saturday, we're located at the Chanhassen dinner theaters. So they all, all they have to do is go on uh, the website, chanhassendt.com. And every weekend year round, they can come down and see some good comedy. And we pride ourselves on being the only place left that does comedy that doesn't offend people. So no okay. profanity and no politics. Good. Perfect. Yay. Oh, come on. You can still offend people without those two things. I can. Well, we do our best not to. <laughs> do you find, Stevie, especially in your line of work, that this whole political correct thing is just so over the top? Everybody's looking for anything they can uh, pick apart and have input on because now they can text, uh, you know, and text their complaints to whatever. So their, uh, their voice can be heard, but yet they're not seen. We actually are in a luxurious position of never having to worry about that because we never offend anybody anyway. We just tell the audience, look, you know, I personally love the spicier stuff, the edgier stuff. I'll listen to Chris Rock you know, and all those people with uh, good political viewpoints and edgy viewpoints. I love watching it. We just don't do it at our club because it's not our brand. So we don't have to worry about it. We're, we're so lucky that way. Yeah, uh, back great. when I was doing the stand-up circuit, I was on the road touring the country as a stand-up. I didn't have to worry about it too much then either because I'm more like a Jerry Seinfeld than yeah. anybody, you know, on the edgier side. Very few people heckle Jerry Seinfeld and nobody posts stuff about him you know, how dare he pick on socks being lost in the dryer? You know, <laughs> I'm lucky that way. I went to Lisa Lampanelli. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's the opposite. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So Lisa Lampanelli is an attack comic. And so I have MS and I uh, went to the show. I, I don't know if I was in a walker or a cane or what I was. But anyway, she started coming out into the audience and she was ripping on everybody. And I'm thinking, oh my God, <laughs> she's coming right to me. She went past me to the accessible seating area and she started ripping a woman with multiple sclerosis up so bad. I mean, it was really? just awful, right? But the way she did it had the place in tears. And the woman that was sitting in the wheelchair was having fun getting insulted. I, and so there is a big talent to be able to do that. But I'll tell you, I agree with you. It's harder to be funny when you're clean, such as a Brian Regan or oh, a Jake Johansson. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Brian Regan is like one of my favorites. Uh, I always have to plug his show Louder Milk on Amazon Prime, which is like one of the greatest shows. But yeah, being uh, funny and uh, being clean, pretty different. Uh, I've seen vulgar, vulgar comics. I like some of that, too. I mean, the edgier stuff. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it as long as it's not your only part of your act. There's an audience for everybody. So if you haven't been to the Chan Hasn't Dinner Theater, number one, it's nice and the food's good, right? Yeah. The food's really good. The drinks are cold. Uh, so <laughs> you can do that now. Uh, Hobbs, what do you got coming up? Oh, I will be at Kegan Case in St. Paul on August 22nd. That's a Sunday. It's a free show out on the patio. Kind of fun. And then the 28th, and I'm hoping uh, P-Jug will want to attend, uh, I will be performing at Cracked Barrel Winery in Hudson, Wisconsin. Ooh. Yeah, we've been do doing shows out there for about, uh, I think this is our third or fourth season at the end of the summer. I'm hosting, and I've got some great comics on this show. Linda Aarons, Greg Coleman. Oh. Uh, yeah, you know Linda, probably. Yeah. Bob, right? Student oh, bars. Yep. Linda and I, she, I absolutely adore that woman. We've been friends for almost 15 years. She is the coolest you will you will you talk about clean you talk about funny you talk about a joke mechanic you talk about an amazing writer 
That's Linda. Linda in her half an hour set will probably deliver 75, 80 jokes. They yeah. are that quick. They are so fast. And She's a punchline machine. Absolutely. And I'm just, and I'm umming and on and doing all the things you're not supposed to do. The, the blind reviewers would be like, mm -mm. <laughs> yeah. I think my favorite punchline machine guy had to be Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, well, oh, God, of course. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Rodney, please. Yeah, so yeah. Rodney's like, so you want to loan me a cigarette? I left mine in the machine. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my favorite was, my favorite one of his for relationships was, I was a water sign. She was an earth sign. Together, we made mud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he started out, he was a, he was a paint salesman. No, it was a, he was an aluminum siding salesman. Oh, that's right. But he so did paint he as well. Aluminum siding. And, then he, and then he and then he got Carson and he goes yep. back out and he's selling the side. And they're like, hey, we saw you on Carson. He's like, hey, I still got mouths to feed. Yep. <laughs> when he started performing, he was just a regular comedian until yep. one night uh, during his set, he started going down the I don't get no respect thing. Mm -hmm. The other comedians pulled him aside afterwards and said, you got to keep that bit. That's yep. work. That's perfect. He said, really? And they said, yeah, build on it. And so that became his whole act after that. Yep. Other comedians had to tell him that it was working. And I have one thing that I want to plug, and that's to tune in next week uh, to find out what happened my with my urethra. Okay. <laughs> America, stop it. No one wants to, no one is asked about that. Thanks to everybody. Make sure you share and like this podcast. Moonpjughobs at gmail.com if you want to write us. Uh, or the website is moonpjugandhobs.com. Stevie, thanks a bunch. Hobbs, P. Jug, we're out. It's time to end the podcast. It's time to shut off the mics. It's time to end the podcast and get a thousand likes. You need to share this podcast with friends in cars or bikes. It's time to end the podcast and get a thousand likes. Why do you always listen? I guess we'll never know. A fat guy in a wheelchair. What the f*** does he know? It's time to end the podcast. It's time to get some likes. Go to your computer. Type it in and you're going to win. We are out of lyrics in. Boopie Jug and Hobbs. That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, It though. could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. It was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo. Let's put this show out of its misery. <laughs>